episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by High Five. Recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2018, High Five simplifies business collaboration with a conferencing platform that builds connected cultures. It's the only all-in-one conferencing solution, including intuitive cloud software and purpose-built meeting room hardware. Plus, it's a high-quality experience with a 4K HDR camera and industry-leading audio powered by Dolby Voice. Growing fast with customers in over 100 countries, High Five is already trusted by the likes of Harry's, Rue La La, Expensify, The Atlantic, and Betterment. To learn more and start simplifying your team's video and audio conferencing, visit giantsandcrowns.com forward slash high five. My name is Connor Folly. I am CEO and co-founder of Downstream. Um, so at, at Downstream, we are building the dominant Amazon advertising solution to allow brands to manage, scale, and optimize their Amazon advertising investments. Uh, Amazon advertising has just been exploding over the past few years. But the advertising offering is so new and unique that there's just a complete lack of tools to allow brands to really get their arms around it and take advantage uh, of the opportunity. Um, and so at Downstream, we're building solutions to help brands do just that. So when you said that there's, there, there are fewer, I guess, fewer on-ramps in that sense, like what, what is, why is that? Because I, I, I would imagine like Amazon would want to have something like this baked in already, right? Yeah, it's a great question. So a couple of things there. First off, advertising on an e-commerce platform is very unique and, and presents a whole host of unique challenges. So, you know, unlike, say, Google or, or Facebook, you have tens of thousands of products that you may be advertising at any given time. Amazon is dynamically price matching every retailer in the universe at every nanosecond. You've got inventory constraints. You've got profitability constraints. You're competing with third-party sellers for your own buy box. So all that is to say that there's, there's a whole host of really fluid dynamics when it comes to optimizing your advertising on an e-commerce platform like Amazon. Um, and so Amazon does provide a console for advertisers to log in and manage their advertising. However, it really doesn't provide all of the, the features, automation, insights uh, that brands want to take into account uh, or have access to to be able to best manage the, their advertising. And one of the reasons for this is that um, while Amazon is now an advertising platform, it's also a retail platform. And so brands have a retail relationship with Amazon. So when a brand wants to understand how much money they are making on their bottom line from their advertising investment, they, they need to factor in how much that product costs to manufacture. And because of that retail relationship, a brand's just never going to share that information with Amazon, justifiably so. Um, and so that's why they need a third-party solution like Downstream to securely stitch together their ad performance data from Amazon with their proprietary cost and inventory data to really optimize to the KPIs that they care about. Mm, that's, that's a really interesting thing, um, particularly that this idea of Amazon having sort of, I guess, conflicting information. You, you, this is a bit of a tangent, but you've, I'm sure you've seen some talk of like Amazon being broken up or suggestions that they should be broken up. Um, what I guess, what is your, I guess before I ask, like, what's your thought on that? The, 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 the sort of the, when I first came across Downstream, my thought was like, this is an acquisition target. Like this guy's, these guys are building an organization that either continues to ride the wave 
of that that is Amazon, this sort of consistent growth of Amazon, or it becomes an acquisition target. But it sounds like what you just stated, perhaps that's con- a conflict. Yeah. So, you know, like like I said earlier, I think brands really value having that that third party relationship with uh, with downstream because it does provide them an opportunity to put data into an advertising platform that they would otherwise uh, not necessarily want to share with Amazon. So so therein, yes, that 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 probably does create, um, you know, some uh some lack of uh ability for for amazon to say uh build out the capabilities or take the capabilities that we have in-house um i I should also add you know we're not for sale we're 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 growing (laughs) we're growing fast and we're having a great time doing it so we're going to keep plugging away at this as 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 long as the sun's coming up that's awesome so let's let's kind of go backwards a little bit um where I want to definitely touch on how downstream came to be um, and how you how you started building it. But let's go even further back than that. Like, how did you get started um, on this journey um, into entrepreneurship or just building things and into marketing in general? Where, where did you before the call we were talking about Montana? Let's, let's kind of start there and kind of uh, move forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I've lived a few places in my life. I was actually born in San Francisco, uh, grew up in, in San Francisco, left uh, when when I was 15. My father was in advertising at, at Chiat Day, working on accounts like Apple and helping, you know, Steve Jobs launch the 1984 campaign during the Super Bowl. Nice. Um, so, so, you know, really got engrossed in advertising and marketing at a young age. And uh, my family made the, made the move up to Seattle when I was 15 went to high school here in Seattle um, and then off to college in Montana where I just had an absolute incredible experience. I can't speak highly enough to it. Um, and so throughout my career, you know, various um, sales and, and marketing roles, but, you know, most relevant to what we're doing at Downstream today, um, I was a marketing manager at Amazon uh, within the Consumer Electronics Organization. And, and during my tenure at Amazon, um we had begun taking much of the marketing that would be sold by marketing managers like myself and then executed by uh, my team uh, and putting it in the form of more self-service offerings. Uh, So the first was Amazon Marketing Services. So uh, a self-service search advertising platform. And during my tenure at Amazon, we launched this and it, it was very clear early on the brands that we worked with were very compelled by the offering. Um, the, the ROI was incredibly strong, um, but it was a really unique offering in that Amazon provided two-week last-click sales attribution. And that is like the holy grail of product advertising because it allows advertisers to make decisions based on actual sales rather than just clicks or impressions. And so I was wait, hearing wait, wait. time and time for some For someone who doesn't understand what all that means, can you, can you sort of dumb that down a little bit? What is... What does all that mean? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, traditionally, um, when we talk about like print and television advertising, um, advertisers made decisions largely based on audience sizes and circulation. And then, you know, Google and Facebook come along and they disrupt this entire paradigm by allowing brands to really quantify the engagement their ads are receiving 
based on clicks and impressions. And now with the emergence of e-commerce advertising, Amazon is really at the vanguard of the next disruption because they have the ability to actually attribute sales back to those ads. Mm. And so that's why we're seeing such an explosive growth with Amazon advertising because it provides the most demonstrable ROI. And, and that is what the marketer is always seeking. How can I demonstrate the best return on my advertising investment? And it's hard to argue with attributed sales. Got it. You know that they're actually being effective because customers are buying products. And you know, Amazon can do that because it occurs within their walled garden. And it's something that Google and Facebook are going to continue to be challenged to do in any meaningful way because those conversions happen off their platforms. Got it. Got it. So before I cut you off, you were saying that that sort of then inspired this next stage. What can you kind of yeah. touch on that? Yeah. So so with the launch of the Amazon advertising vehicles, you know, brands were, were picking it up as fast as they could buy the ad inventory. But but given the restrictions of the, of the platform, just the fact that, you know, there was a console, there was no automation, it was self-service, um, brands were scrambling to try to figure out how they could pour more money into this advertising platform. Um, and so it, it, it catalyzed this little boutique industry of, of Amazon agencies that started to spring up all around Amazon, essentially solving the problem with, with headcount. And so brands were engaging with, with these little Amazon exclusive agencies uh, to manage their Amazon advertising. And so um, I, I left Amazon about three years ago um, to go work in just that space um, and had the opportunity to work with the largest advertisers in the world, with the largest brands in the world. Um, but what we were doing was really solving with headcount a problem that demanded a technical solution. And, and I recognized it at that time. Um, and so that was where the inspiration to create downstream came from. You know, Amazon started to release uh, more of these advertising APIs, and it was clearly an opportunity to build a software as a service solution to allow brands and agencies uh, to be able to better manage, automate, and, and scale their advertising themselves, rather than investing in you know expensive agencies that were going to be largely you know throwing headcount and hands on the keyboards to do it. Awesome. So when you when you realized you wanted to create a SaaS solution, um, do you have do you have some coding background? Do you have some technical background? <laughs> no, okay. I, I, you know I I, I wish I, I wish I had the ability to code, but but fortunately um, I have an incredibly talented co-founder in Salim Hamed, my my CTO and co-founder, nice. and so. Salim was at Amazon at the time as a senior engineering manager within AWS. We've been for about six years and we started discussing this, this opportunity and he was very compelled by it. And uh, so we, we left uh, our prior roles in uh, November of, of 2017 uh, to, to launch downstream. And then, you know, through our, our network and the strength of the concept, we were invited to join the Techstars Seattle program which we wrapped up in April. Um, can't speak highly enough about the Techstars program uh, and had the opportunity uh, through that program to close out a large round of venture funding. Um, and we've just been going pedal to the metal ever since, experiencing 
tremendous growth and it's provided us the ability to deliver more features and more values to our customers each and every day. So I, I definitely want to touch on that. Like the, but before we do that, like the, the, the conversation we had with Salim, you know, the, whenever I talk to different founders and I guess even in my experience as well, the, some of the harder parts is finding awesome people to join you. Um, give or take. Sometimes the idea is so awesome that people will just see it clear as day and they will, they will do whatever they can to jump on the boat. Other times um, they can't see it quite yet. Like what was, what was that conversation like? Like how did you, how did you convince Salim? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it, it, it's, there's several phases to the conversation. I mean, first, you've got to convince somebody that the opportunity is there. Um, you have to convince the person that um, you are the person that that they want to take this jump with and co-found a company with. Right. Um, and also, you want to convince them that that they are ready to be a founder. And, and maybe I shouldn't say convince, because I, I think anybody who has founded a company uh, knew that they were going to do it for a long time. And it reaches a point at which you feel as though you don't have a choice. Um, you just simply have to do this. Um, it, it's difficult to really articulate exactly what that feeling is, but it, it is something that you simply can't deny. It just eats at your soul. And, you know, I think as I articulated it to Salim, if you were to weigh all the risks associated with founding a startup, they are far outweighed by the risk of lying on your deathbed someday wondering what if. Yeah. 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 So, so was that like a single dinner where you where you laid that you laid that truth to bear or was it a number of conversations, some tweets, uh, maybe like lobbying his family? <laughs> what was what were, what were the, the sequence of events? Yeah, it's definitely a series of conversations, um, and you know, plying him with uh, with multiple beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, Salim is a naturally entrepreneurial guy, and um, given the experience at at Amazon, you know, we've heard it from so many of our our mentors um, from Amazon that it just prepares you. In, in such a way for entrepreneurism, it, the the framework of the the leadership principles that Amazon provides, um, the empowerment to lead, the, the experiences and and the startup type culture at Amazon, um, it, it just suits you right down to your core for founding your own company um, and, and taking those lessons and principles. Uh, it, it's simply the best preparation i think uh that an entrepreneur could have outside of you know previously founding a company nice i'm gonna i'm gonna use that when we reach out to amazon um <laughs> <laughs> so uh fast forward a little bit um well i guess not too much you what was what was i guess some of the activity that you had you had to take on prior to joining Techstars? like how did you guys collect your first set of customers and um i guess even before that how do you guys how do you guys make money is it subscription on the platform yeah, we do uh, flat SaaS subscription pricing, um, and you know, acquiring those those first few customers. We're fortunate in that, uh, you know, from our experience uh, at at Amazon, we have relationships with many 
brands um, that, that sell their products on Amazon and advertise on Amazon. So we had the ability to leverage that and you know, clearly, given our experience, um, that they're always uh, excited to, to talk to us and, and and bounce their Amazon challenges off of us. So, you know, you, you leverage some of that consultative capability uh, to, to get them on the phone and start talking about what we're building um, and, and use them as those those reference customers, because it, that, that honestly is one of the, the biggest challenges early on for any company is in, in most cases, you need to have a customer, their data sets to begin building around. Right, right. And I imagine it's challenging to convince them, much like it may be challenging to convince somebody to join your team, but even more so these guys, to, to, to take a chance on your product with it having no track record. Is that right? That, that's right. I mean, early on in founding a company, it, it's... It's funny how many people you have to find that believe in you yeah. and convince them to, to take a risk. You know, the, there's, of course, you know, that, that co-founder discussion. If you have a co-founder, your first employees, there's, uh, you know, those first customers um, who are, are really taking a chance on something that, you know, may not exist yet. Um, and then, of course, if you have, you know, investors, uh, there's those that you obviously have to convince as well. Um, and then, you know, your family, if you have one, <laughs> you know, convincing yeah. um, my wife that this was uh, an opportunity that was was too good to pass up. Um, that, that's also not not an easy discussion. What if, if you don't mind me asking? What is that? What is that conversation like? Like I, I'm single, so I don't have I don't have like a I don't have a wife or a husband or anything like that to to speak to. So what is that conversation like? Yeah, I, I think I'm fortunate in that case in that this was never really a discussion that we had to have because That's since good. the day she she met me, she knew this was coming. You know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. It, it is so baked into the. DNA of who I am, um, but she knew that this was inevitable. Um, it was just a matter of time, and so it was sort of an ongoing discussion from the very day that I, I met her. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, so you said that uh, you got invited out to TechStars, and uh, through that, I guess, what, where exactly was Downstream uh, prior to going into TechStars, um, and then what happened while you were in it? Um, like, how did the product change? How did you change? How did your relationship with Salim change? How did the relationship with customers change? Yeah, yeah, happy to talk about that. So, I'd say early when we joined TechStars, you know, we were still putting together an MVP. Um, we were working with several customers in more of a service type capacity because we were we were trying to bootstrap something. Yeah. Um, and getting into Techstars provided us the ability uh, to really focus on product. You know, beginning to take in uh, some investment gave us the resources to hire folks um, and not worry as much about uh, services revenue. Um, and then the experience of the Techstars program was was phenomenal. The level of mentorship that you receive, the guidance you receive, having the opportunity to learn from such an incredible network of entrepreneurs and really all of their collective kind of cuts and bruises as, as they've been through this so many times. It's just, 
invaluable in either preventing you from making that same mistake or recognizing it while you're doing it um, and and recalling their experience. Um, but, you know, I think the way that I like to commonly frame the, the Techstars program, um, you have this experience in your professional life where you might look back on, say, a PowerPoint deck or some report you put together uh, a year ago or, or two years ago, and you have that moment where you're a little embarrassed that you put that together and that that was your work product because you've learned so much since then that you could really do something far superior to that that old work product. And I like to say that at Techstars, you have that experience almost daily because you're growing so fast uh, that 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 acceleration causes you to look at things that you did yesterday and be like, oh God, I can't believe I was there yesterday. I, I, I'm so much, I've learned so much since then. Um, it, it really is uh, a head spinning um, experience. Uh, just just moving that fast, uh, learning uh, from, from so many talented and experienced entrepreneurs. Um, and then of course, having the opportunity to get in front of some of the most revered investors in the world, um, and then receive all that collected feedback for, for, for better or good. I guess, so the conversations you're having with the tech stars, these are, so re- these are required conversations, right? Like with mentors pretty much every day and, and investors, I, I would imagine at the later stage within the program, is that right? You know, Techstars likes to frame really everything that you do as optional. You know, we're, we're all big boys and girls and we're, we're business owners and you can choose to participate in what you want to participate in, but you, you're really not going to extract the value from the program um, unless you buy in and follow along with with the schedule and, and the curriculum. And so, you know, early on in Techstars, you go through the, the Mentor Madness program, which is like a week of just days jam-packed with some of the most talented business people and experienced entrepreneurs in the world coming in just to spend face time with you, hear about your business model and your concept and provide feedback and guidance. And that happens in the second week of Techstars. Um, and the, the collective feedback and experience you get from that is just invaluable. I, I, I can't even quantify the amount of mistakes they, they kept me from making, um, but by looking at the plans that we had laid out in the future and, you know, simply telling you, you know, I tried that as well and my experience was this. And so I would recommend that rather than do that, you take a look at perhaps doing this. That just happens all throughout the day for that entire first week. Um, and, and, and that is just incredible. And then from there, having the opportunity to distill it down to, you know, s- some lead mentors that you're going to work with throughout the program. Techstars putting a framework around how you uh, monitor your business, how you build your business, having regular cadence of, you know, KPIs that we're reviewing with the team, uh, giving you the support and guidance to build product and grow. Um, and then towards the latter stage of, of the program, getting you in front of some of the most respected investors in the world, um, you know, really providing that ingredient branding that, you know, this, this is this is a tech stars company and, and you should take a look at them because we looked at thousands of companies and this is the top 1% of what we looked at. Um, that was just an, an incredible opportunity. Um, and 
having that many shots on goal uh, when it comes to to investment um, is really invaluable. That's awesome. Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives, um, but even more, more so than all that as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Brookshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. Their courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that and the first 200 folks from Giants and Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out, let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. So when you when you graduated, um, had you guys already closed your round by then or was that a, was that an ongoing process? We had it kind of soft circled together. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after demo night, which is the big culminating event, yeah. um, we were able to to wrap it up. Um, but I, I will say, you know, fundraising is interesting in that it doesn't necessarily have clearly defined goalposts on it. You know, you you try to keep it as consolidated as possible because fundraising truly is a, a full time job and then some. Um, but the the common knowledge here is that well, I don't know if it's the common knowledge, but the 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 framework by which investors track. Uh, startups is truly through through dots on the map rather than straight lines. And so while you might not be fundraising at a given moment, um, those venture capitals are looking for data points all throughout uh, a company's growth cycle so that they can 
identify what your trajectory is. And so while we might not be raising for a Series A today, it is important to put those dots along the graph so that those investors that we want to work with in the future can connect them via a straight line or a curve line, hopefully, <laughs> that uh, that is making a, a big hockey stick shape. Nice. So what is what is that? I guess, what does that communication look like? Like, how are you how are you structuring those conversations or those updates? Yeah, so you deliver a regular cadence of update emails to a select set of investors. Um, some investors have, you know, unique ways of, of reaching out and trying to get uh, insights on, on how you're growing. Sometimes it's simple touch bases here and there, you know, meeting for coffee or having a quick phone call, um, grabbing dinner or lunch with them. Um, but also, you know, the the... the Real successful investors in this space are careful to ensure that you know they're not taking up too much of your bandwidth because you need to focus on building your business. Um, but it is those little touch points uh, throughout that uh, throughout that runway from your prior round uh, that allow them to kind of put together a more complete picture of the trajectory your business is on. Nice. All right. So you complete demo day. You've closed your round. Now what? Now it's time to hire and now it's time to deliver on everything that you've been out promising. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's fun. Um, it, it's really exciting having the opportunity to build a team and begin executing on this vision and this plan that you've been refining over all these many months. Um, but it, also creates a whole new set of stresses than what you had previously when you were trying to raise that round. Because um, now you have made many commitments and you have convinced many people of your ability to build this thing and it is time to deliver. Yeah. Um, so what, what, so was, what were some of like the, I guess like specifically like in, in terms of hiring, like who did you, I guess what kind of roles did you need to hire for um, and how did you go about deciding that this was going to be the most impactful kind of role that needed to be hired for downstream? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, I think early on in uh, the fundraising process and actually prior to fundraising, you know, putting together that, that pro forma P&L uh, for how we were going to spend uh, this capital um, we needed to put together a hiring plan and designate, you know, which uh, headcount additions we were going to make. And that's something, you know, I do collaboratively with Salim, um, you know, myself going in and um, identifying what key business hires we needed to make in, in sales and marketing and customer success, and then working with Salim to do the same for the development team. How many engineers, how many data scientists, uh, project managers, product managers, etc. Um, and so it was something that we had had formulated for for some time. Um, you know, you make a few tweaks and fine tuning around the edges. Um, but I will say, you know, hiring in Seattle is challenging. Not only do you have Amazon and Microsoft, but you've got Google and Facebook and Salesforce and uh, just about everybody now has a campus up here. Um, so it, it's a challenging process that we have been fortunately very successful at um, and something that 
I learned early on in this process was that hiring for a startup is much different than hiring when I was at Amazon. Um, hiring for a startup is very similar to pitching the venture capitalists. Uh, of course, you know, there's the basics around compensation and culture, etc. Um, but there is that moment in the discussion with a prospective employee where you do have to give them the pitch and uh, as we like to say kind of give them the religion on you know what it is we're building what the grand vision is and that's the moment where you are trying to inspire them that this is an opportunity to have a hand in building something much bigger than them that someday they're going to be able to tell their kids or grandkids or you know whatever the case may be uh, and, and be truly proud uh, of what they what they had a part in it's awesome so b- before we start talking about like tech stars and all that you talked about like the the the, the growth within downstream can you can you extract for us or sort of expand on what what does that growth look like and feel like on a day to day, and then what kinds of decisions are you sort of confronted with now um, that you're in the throes of it? Yeah, so growth presents all sorts of interesting decisions on a daily basis, and and they are some are recurring, some are unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the most challenging decisions that we have to make on a regular basis is what opportunities do we pursue? Um, You know, in in our space, there is so much demand uh, for experienced and knowledgeable people like like our team um, to to solve Amazon business challenges on on behalf of the the brands that we're engaged with. And so constantly being presented with with service opportunities versus software opportunities, but then also, you know, unique product and software opportunities where a brand might come to us and they have some unique challenge that perhaps we haven't considered before and are looking for a team to to build a a software solution for that. So uh, that's a common decision that I have to make on a daily basis about what direction we are taking uh, the the company and what direction we're taking our product. Cool. So like when it comes to how you're building up the product, what what has been, I know it's still relatively young in the, in the, in the tenure of downstream, but like what has been is some of your major lessons learned on that front? Yeah, I think when when we look at the the features that we are prioritizing um, you can you can kind of split them out between you know the analytics and insights side and then the more programmatic automation side um, and while the analytics and insights is incredibly valuable to to our customers it's very clear that you know they're looking for greater and greater capability to be able to automate and and scale their advertising uh, on amazon um, because they they want to lean in um, and it's challenging to do with with uh, you know fingers on the keyboards um, and there are so many decisions that have to be made on a minute by minute business uh, based on you know a brand's understanding of their business kind of puts and takes um, th- that they need intelligent software to be able to make those decisions on their behalf 
um, so that they can truly optimize the, their advertising investment on Amazon. So that's that's really the direction that um, we are headed and the features that we have been shipping and that we continue to iterate on and, and invest in um, are more and more of those capabilities allowing brands to, to truly automate um, with AI and machine learning and and provide them the capability to kind of take their hands off the wheel as it were and have our system really optimized to the KPIs that th their business wants to focus on. Yeah. So I guess what, what, when you, you know, what's, what's been, I guess the, the biggest misstep uh, at least that you can speak to that you've made to date, either personally or w within the organization or as an organization, I should say. That is a great question. That's that's one where I could give you one of those uh, hokey answers. Where I don't, <laughs> don't give me a hokey answer. Let's let's go for the joke. around something I did that was actually pretty good. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that I've learned in this process is that if you truly want to build enterprise grade software that has all of the security, performance, and polish that an enterprise size brand anticipates and expects, project that it's going to take about 2x the time that it would otherwise take to build less performance software. Um, building high quality software. Uh, requires dedication um, and, and, and takes time. Um, there's a Jeff Bezos quote where um, he says that uh, uh, software development, when it comes to building something, that um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And, yeah. and that's something that we reiterate daily, um, that if you look over the, the trajectory of several sprints, being methodical and doing things the right way so that it can scale later on uh, does ultimately save you quite a bit of time in the long run because you're not left with all of that technical debt behind you um, and you're not building this enormous platform on a house of cards and that's where it really helps to have a co-founder who is an aws engineer because they know how to build stuff at scale um, but i would say you know that that's probably one of the mistakes that i made early on um, was was underestimating uh, the length of time that it takes to build truly enterprise-grade software um, I'd also add probably underestimating uh, the the sales cycle for you know the, the, an enterprise brand conversation and how long it truly takes uh, to to close out those those sales. It, it's a long, long process. Uh, you know, enterprise software it can be a, a sizable investment. Um, there's all sorts of different compliance and security protocols. Many, many stakeholders. Um, so, so that's another one where I think, from uh, from a timeline perspective, um, perhaps early on, I, I did not accurately estimate the length of that sales cycle. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, especially when it comes to SaaS SaaS products, having I have I haven't quite yet come across an organization that's built a, a robust SaaS product without taking on any outside investment, um, because yes. It, it, I do imagine that's particularly challenging. Like one, to, like building out the product, determining what the product's going to actually be, building something that's strong enough and uh, complies with your with your potential customers, and having enough cash to to survive that. Uh, 
and then to build out a good enough team to build that, you need capital. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, like in our space, um, you know, where for for some time you've had uh, teams putting together products or brands that sell their products on or to Amazon, there has been uh, kind of a, a morass of products that are, are bootstrapped. Um, you know, all respect to, to the bootstrappers, um, but it, it, it does oftentimes represent a development situation where, you know, you might have one founder engineer who, who's building something and then trying to build out a team on recurring revenue, um, whereas having the, the luxury of venture capital provides you the opportunity to bring in a whole team of engineers and really look at the whole scope of the project. Um, and, and plan out something that you can truly build at scale uh, so that in the long run it's performant and there, there's not the same level of technical debt. So you do find that it allows you to build products that are, are, are less kind of kind of buggy and glitchy um, and meet the demands of those enterprise brand customers. Yeah. So with sort of on that, like how do you do that or how have you, how have you done that being mindful of your spend? Because you know that's that's sort of the the wall that is coming, um, unless you keep moving that goalpost with additional raises or just more robust revenue. So, how are you managing that? Yeah, it, it, it comes down to discipline. Um, you know, you you have to be disciplined to the vision that you had when you set out to in, embark on on this journey. Um, it is so tempting. Uh, on, a, on a daily basis to say, okay, well, we can just take this shortcut so that we can bring that feature to market and start generating revenue from that, you know, next month. Um, but you have to be disciplined about the fact that that was not the vision or the goal when we set out on this. And so we need to be patient. Um, we have a plan here uh, and we need to build based on the, the foundations that we had set forward in the beginning um, rather than than taking those shortcuts because in the long run we're going to end up paying for it and that was not the strategy or the vision that, that we had initially so what, what is it you to the extent that you can speak to like what are some of the things you you've done to to manage cash flows and also just kind of get a good sense of um, what's going to be the most cost effective next move or set of next moves yeah, so we, we work with a, a third-party financial organization that provides us kind of that, that part-time uh, CFO uh, resources, which I can't recommend highly enough. Um, having the opportunity on a regular cadence to have an outside financial professional come in and give you the straight truth and advice um, on your burn rate, how you're investing your money, um, in, in talent and hardware and otherwise um, and provide unvarnished advice has really been invaluable. Um, you know, just as it is challenging to manage your burn rate and ensure that you're not getting over your skis from a hiring perspective, right? it is just as critical to make sure that you're not being a coward in how you're approaching this. Your investors made an investment in you 
trusting that you would build and deliver and move forward quickly. Um, so that's a conversation that Salim and I have on a regular basis. Um, you know, when you're looking at the runway that you have in front of you, being truthful about the fact that if my runway is out here at, you know, whatever the case may be, 18 months, if my revenue is actually at that same level in 18 months, do we even all deserve to have a job then? <laughs> or, right. you know, do we need to be moving forward on this runway as fast as possible, um, recognizing that we need to ship this product and, and begin monetizing and, and seeing greater traction by this point? Mm. You know, so that, I kind of want to want to pivot a little bit. Uh, one, one of the things you, you spoke to before is, uh, I guess, uh, to an extent uh, related to what you just spoke to, um, managing sales cycle. And the, the, the I guess one of the mistakes you made earlier on, and I'm assuming you, you, you're, you've traversed it or you've gotten a better grips with it. Um, that sales cycle, as it's informed by like, the various stakeholders and, and all that, like how, how have you stabilized your, I guess, how have you created like a, a predictable revenue engine um, driven by sales and um, as dependent on the sales cycle of all these other clients that you have? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that one. You know, it, it's it's a muscle in many ways. So the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets, and the more flexible it gets as well. So you just get better at it over time. You know, you see more and more of these repeatable patterns. Um, you anticipate certain things coming from prospective customers so you can get ahead of them and, you know, start preparing certain documents, uh, you know, contractual or otherwise, um, and, and understanding who the different stakeholders are going to be in the organization so that you can start moving through that process more quickly. Um, you also begin to develop more and more just kind of templated items that you have ready to send out. Um, so it, it's a matter of just experience and, and building up the resources to move things along more quickly. Yeah. So like like specifically, what, what are some of those re- repeatable patterns that you see? You know, ensuring that you've got your, your MSA in place um, or... It's an MSA? Uh, yeah, your service agreement, your master service agreement. Um, uh and you know you've got templated statements of work that you can quickly put together and get out um, that you have all of your uh, insurance in place because that's something that can come as a cold shock when you're reviewing a contract with a customer that you need certain in, in insurance to be in place um, you know all of the the security protocols that's a painful exercise to go through um, so there, there's quite a few different things um, that you want to ensure that you have in place to make sure that you can move through this efficiently. And then also having a legal team that knows what the heck they're doing. Right. <laughs> so so what, what, what did you do to, to build up a legal team that knows what the heck they're doing? I hired WSGR. I mean, they've been <laughs> fantastic. You know, there's a few teams in this space who know startups and know what they're doing. And I can't speak highly enough to WSGR and, and 
David Wickwire, our counsel over there, he's just been fantastic for us. Um, so yeah, having having a legal team who this is not uncharted territory for both the fundraising process and and through you know negotiating uh, software contracts with with large enterprise brands. That's that's really critical because you don't want to be learning together with your legal team on just how to do these things. Uh, this should almost be wrote for them. Yeah. So like in terms of in terms of like working with your legal team, especially when it, when it comes to negotiating contracts and I guess figuring out exactly how you want to approach these orgs, like what is, you know, I guess I guess one of the first questions that comes to mind is just like how do you price that? Like how do you how do you bake that into your cost structure? Um and then what how intimate of a relationship is that between you and the legal team? Yeah. So, I mean, pricing is a whole subject where you can do a series of podcasts on, but (laughs) we've been very fortunate uh, with the the mentorship that uh, Techstars put in place, you know, with the the early introductions through like the Mentor Madness program, we now have a a stable of mentors that are executives and successful entrepreneurs that we can reach out to, to ask these questions, you know, for like a Fortune 500 company being able to reach out to their VP of sales and ask them, you know, we're running into XYZ challenge how have you solved this in the past? What would you recommend we do? Um, that's been invaluable. Same thing on, on uh, you know, our, our investor side. Um, we have those resources through many of our VCs. Um, and then also, you know, just having uh, the ability to reach out to our team of uh, attorneys um, at, at any time and, you know, have their cell phones available. So when you run into a challenge, you can have a quick conversation and, you know, they have the experience of having done this so many times that they can uh, they can provide you guidance. Um, but then also, you know, part of being an entrepreneur that I don't think gets emphasized enough is that you you do at some point have to trust your gut. You know, you yeah. you look for confirmation out there, um, and when you have the opportunity to get advice and insights, of course you 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 gobble that up. Um, but you do have to learn to trust your gut because indecision will kill you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, all right, man. Well, we're renewing the the last couple of minutes of of our hour block here, so I'd love to 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 shift on over to some of those quick fire questions. Um, but before I do, is there is there anything that uh, that people should know about you that they would not know having looked at your LinkedIn account? Oh wow. Um, Something that people would not know about me from my LinkedIn account. I tried my hand in college at being a rodeo bull rider. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> that that's career awesome. did not work out. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm like six one six two, and you, you do notice that most of those rodeo bull riders are, are much shorter because it's that center of gravity that you want to keep over the animal. But uh, I had a roommate in college who, who was into that, and I gave it a shot in a couple of rodeos, and it, it didn't work out. But it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that that's uh, I think that's like you know we're we're in this age of just all kinds of podcasts i think that's potentially one one show in and of itself like the life that could have been yeah probably the only <laughs> tech stars founder who's given that a shot <laughs> exactly exactly awesome man all right so let, let's jump over to our quick fire questions you ready yeah shoot awesome all right so f- favorite rapper biggie or tupac um you know being being on the west coast i gotta go tupac why well because of the west coast piece 
purely. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, I lived for a good portion of my childhood in Marin and uh, he was over in Marin City for a long time. So he was just somebody that we knew about. But um, I always appreciated uh, his swagger. Nice. All right. So uh, uh, favorite book or, or books that have been the most impactful to you personally or professionally? Yeah, I'm, I'm reading The Messy Middle right now, and uh, that, that's been fantastic. Um, the Hard Thing About the Hard Things, um, that, that, that one I think, uh, of course, is often quoted, but um, it, it's just been a really powerful resource. So I would say those two from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, the Everything Store is, is a really compelling read, um, especially if, if you're somebody starting out at Amazon. I don't think it's you know totally accurate, but it does provide some really uh, interesting anecdotes on the early days of, of, of Amazon and how some things came to be there. Um, and then personally, you know, my, my favorite read is, is Papillon. I, I would recommend that anybody pick that book up and give it a read. I think there's a, a new movie coming out. Um, but you said uh, Papillon? Papillon, just uh, adventure, endurance, and just a testament to, to the will of the human spirit. So. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Awesome, man. All right, so what is a, a favorite tool or tools in your arsenal? On the professional side, I mean, Slack is absolutely invaluable to our team. Um, it, it keeps us in constant communication um, for those folks who we have um, who uh, you know might not be in the office on a given day or working from home, having the ability to keep those those lines of chat are open. Um, also, you know, reducing the overall burden of, of email load. Um, I would also add buy yourself a good microphone uh you know th this uh blue yeti um when you have these podcast interviews came come up um <laughs> the, the quality of the broadcast when you're using a, a real microphone is, is well worth the investment nice um all right so let's say you're you're in a situation where you have only a hundred dollars in your pocket in your bank account etc um how do you turn that hundred dollars into two thousand dollars follow your customer um you know early on when i was at amazon somebody asked the question of, of jeff bezos what is your view on competition and how you uh, approach the, the competition in a business context and you know jeff said there, there's kind of two ways to run your business um you can focus on your customer or you can focus on your competition and you know, as, as he saw it, uh, if you're following your competition, you're following them God knows where, right? They could be leading you right off a cliff or down a dead end alley. But if you use the customer as your North Star, they will never lead you astray. So if, if I had that at $100, it's a matter of finding a valuable customer, uh, understanding what is their greatest pain point or pain points and, and finding a solution there that you can solve for. Um, as long as you're addressing real customer needs, uh, there's always an opportunity uh, to make a living. Nice. All right, so last question. Um, you're allowed one meal for the rest of your life. Uh, this is a meal you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What is that meal? And, and don't hold back on the details, man. Paint me a picture. 
Okay, so we are in downtown Seattle and on Third Street, there, there's a place across the street called Red Bulls. It's like a poke bowl, except they put like sashimi grade tuna and salmon on top, some veggies, some cabbage, and some rice underneath. And it's just a massive meal. But we eat that probably three days out of the week. Um, our, our team standing there in line. It is amazing. It's delicious. It's nutritious. And it doesn't leave your gut bombs. So I'm going to say uh, Red Bulls here in downtown Seattle. Nice one. Nice one. Well, man, Connor, thank you so much, man. It was good, good catching up with you. I learned a lot talking to you. And uh, I guess, is, is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone else who's listening? Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to listen to listen to me drone on. But um, please, <laughs> if, if you're a consumer brand who is selling products on Amazon, come sign up for a, a 30-day free trial of downstream software so that we can help you optimize, manage, and, and scale your Amazon advertising investment and really drive growth and share for, for your brand on Amazon. Nice. All right, man. I'll see you at, at Red Bulls. All right, take care, Anthony. <laughs> See ya.